Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hello, hello. Welcome to yet another wonderful, incredible installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I don't know what I'm going to say when we have a really dull show lined up. I'll, I'll probably I'll probably lie and say it's good. But today is not that day. Today we have a great show lined up for you. We have out by actor Josh Bandy. Um, he is the star of an upcoming series called Not Dead Yet. He is also um, on another series um, called Upload. Um, and upload is on uh, Amazon Prime. ABC is where you will find Not Dead Yet, yet, when, when it comes out. Um, he is an incredible talent. And he, his background goes everywhere from Shakespeare to improv. He's done horror. He's done comedy. Um, and I, I really feel like he has not even yet begun to shine. Um, we're going to hear a lot more about him um, as his career continues taking on the momentum that it already has. But he is waiting on deck and uh, can't wait to talk to him. Um, in the meantime, we've got Brody Levesque. Brody is the co-host of the show um, and produces our episodes and is also the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, that is the online LGBTQ news source that you must have, you must read because it is incredibly well-written journalism and um, a lot of focus on the stories that you need to know about the LGBTQ community and often written in a way that you won't read about them elsewhere. Um, so with that, I want to welcome on the show Brody and we'll see what is going on in our world. Brody, what's going on? Okay, Rob. Well, the Chronicles of George Santos continues. Um, the ongoing controversy over the elected representative from New York's third congressional district uh, continues. Um, in an interview last night with NBC News, Republican House Speaker uh, Kevin McCarthy indicated that House leadership was not going to take any action in terms of uh, Representative Santos. Uh, they're essentially going to let everyone else worry about it. Uh, Santos has turned into just more than an absolute train wreck. Uh, it, it's just become a process of discovery, and every new revelation about this grifting Republican supposedly gay congressman just gets worse. Um, we've had um, a 50-page complaint filed with the FEC. There's been another revelation today that there's been more irregularities in uh, in his campaign financing. Um, he was point blank told to resign yesterday by his own party. Uh, a grouping of New York State Republicans and Nassau County Republicans which is the congressional area that he represents, basically said, get out, please get out, please get out, just get out. Um, and the reason for it is because this man has fabricated virtually every, every aspect 
of his resume. He's lied about his job, his education. He's lied about um, having had a, a wife, a female wife. Um, he claims he's married to a guy, but none of us are able to come up with any marriage certificates or anything that would substantiate that. So now that's a little questionable. Uh, he refuses to resign point blank. As a matter of fact, he was on uh, Uber right wing radio today. Uh, Steve Bannon's war room. He was on with uh, another pariah in the Republican party, Florida representative, Matt Gates. And he essentially said that, until 142,000 people tell me to resign, I'm not going to. Um, I think that the congressman is going to probably find out pretty quickly that the entire congressional district, which numbers way more than 142,000 on both parties, is eager to see him uh, go away. Um, at this point, in the conversation with the House parliamentarian and, of course, with Republican leadership, Unless he voluntarily resigns, there's pretty much nothing that House leadership can do. Now, they can refuse him uh, to sit on committees of any kind. Um, However, that doesn't take away his ability to uh, participate in House votes on the House floor. And it also doesn't prevent him, obviously, from collecting his rather nice House salary and benefits that go with being elected member of Congress. So that is kind of the ongoing thing that, you know, people are dealing with at this point. I've had multiple conversations with Republican uh, Republicans, um, both in the state of New York and Capitol Hill sources. Uh, for them, it's frustrating, but they've also pointed out that in no small way, it kind of illustrates the problem within their party uh, as to the dysfunctional nature of the party which I don't think any of us are probably going to argue with that assessment. Uh, We just unearthed earlier today a Facebook post of Santos. Now, he was a congressional candidate at the time, and he basically was supporting Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, okay? And I'm going to quote Santos. Hey, everyone, George Santos here, congressional candidate, New York's third. Let's talk real quick about Florida Don't Say Gay. Although the bill doesn't mention these words, that's what left-leaning Democrats and progressives are labeling it. I'll leave you you with this. As a gay man, I stand proudly behind not teaching our children sex or sexual orientation. That's incumbent on parents, not educators. I stand proudly behind the Florida legislature for putting a decent bill out that will protect values. Okay, protect values. There you go. Um. You know, it, it's just become a little bit more than just a simple issue of the guy being a lying sack of garbage. Now it goes into a lot of different areas. Currently, he's under investigation by the United States Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. He's under investigation by the Office of New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. And he's under investigation by Ann Donnelly, who is the chief prosecutor for Nassau County, which is the area he represents. Uh, Even though the FEC has got a complaint filed, uh, they probably won't take any real enforcement action. So it's primarily going to be up uh, to law enforcement. At this point, McCarthy and House Majority Whip Steve Scalise have basically decided that they're not going to touch this guy. 
And, uh, yeah, so he's kind of turned into basically a sideshow on Capitol Hill, which for those of us in the press tour and press pool, kind of an interesting, you know, relaxing time to go chase that idiot down while we're in between other important stories. It is an embarrassment, though, but, again, um, you know, this is kind of what we're looking at, uh, you know, with Santos. Now, I need to add that Santos isn't the only one that is saying some really questionable things. The uh, head of the log cabin Republicans, Charlie Moran, um, went after uh, U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and accused the secretary of pushing a woke agenda down the aviation industry's throat. And then he turned around and blamed all the ills. Uh, of the aviation problems on Secretary Buttigieg, regardless and irrespective of the fact that the outage, for example, yesterday was tied to software errors and other issues. But, uh, you know, the log count of Republicans, there's a tweet from them this morning. Buttigieg was picked to help the Biden administration check a box. Oh, and then it gets worse. Just like HHS Secretary Becerra, For readers or listeners out there that don't know this, Health and Human Secretary uh, Javier Becerra is a former uh, California official. He is Latino. Uh, So that was kind of a really nasty, borderline racist thing for the log cabin uh, Republicans to say. And then the final go ran from the log cabin GOP on Buttigieg today. Uh, the Pete Buttigieg's transportation record, unprecedented supply chain crisis, near shutdown of U.S. rail, meltdown of U.S. air travel, complete FAA malfunction, and shutdown in January, and in great LGBT representation. Mind you, okay, Secretary Buttigieg's sexual orientation, even his marriage, has no bearing nor anything at all to do with the day job as Secretary of Transportation, nor should it. But the log cabin Republicans were putting that out, and in a weird way, echoing Fox News, who went after Secretary Buttigieg last week for an official government trip where his spouse went with him, which is proper and legal, to go to the start of the Inviticus Games. He was representing President Biden and the United States, they were flown above. Uh, they were flown there aboard one of the presidential fleet, which again, as a cabinet member, he's entitled to on official business. Yet Fox tried to make it out that you know he shouldn't have been doing it. The American taxpayers should be reimbursed. Blah blah blah. Mind you, juxtaposition their whining about the track record of Trump officials and other Republican officials taking travel, and it becomes relatively easy to see that the only reason Fox was whining was because the secretary is gay. So there's a little homophobia built into it. And then you get the self-amolation homophobia of log cabin Republicans and George Santos. And so that's our Thursday, Rob. Right. Well, and it should be pointed out on Buttigieg's travel that um, he mostly flies commercial uh, on the flights that he needs to. The private plane is used when that is the most expedient and cost-effective way, even above commercial travel. And if you look at all of his travel, only 14% of his travel was on um, the private jet. 
Um, and then to your Governor. point, other officials who have traveled to like the the games and all that, all were done in previous administration, including the Trump administration, on private jets. So yeah, it's all bullshit, and it's you know he didn't create those problems. He was a guy that stepped up to solve those problems. Um, you know, uh, anyway, uh, ridiculousness. I will say one thing on the Santos thing um, that mm-hmm. I hope the media is, uh, this is one thing that bothers me is the media is so focused on Santos that it is almost normalized the others like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren um, Bobbitt and Matt Getz, um are kind of becoming what is looking like the normal people. Um, and yeah. that isn't, isn't the case. Um, so it's, it's, uh, that's where I get concerned over overexposure on the, the Santos deal. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's, let's, let's move on from that. Um, and I want to welcome to the show um, the very talented, very diverse, um, out by actor, Josh Bandy. Josh, welcome. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I uh, Please forgive me. I just uh, stopped crying. I read your piece about Leslie Jordan, which uh, listeners can find on the LosAngelesBlade.com website. Uh, shameless plug. Um, it was beautiful, uh, Rob. It was an excellent, oh. excellent piece. And, uh, thank you and so much. I didn't know Leslie personally, but the, the piece really touched my heart, and, and um, I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful tribute. So thank you so much for that. Thanks. I, it, it's, um, I, I have actually started writing a lot about dead celebrities. I've, I've written on uh, Angel Lansbury and Irene Cara. Um, so and let me just put it this way. If, if you cried over Leslie, don't read the Irene Cara one. Um, oh, no. that one, oh, that one also, yeah. But um, I'm getting my so wine much. right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're you are just astounding. I mean, it's like the 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 <laughs> breadth of of things that you have touched so far, and I really do think you're only, you've only just begun. Um, but you've got two series going on right now. Um, although before we get into those, I want to. I want to backtrack. Let's let's go back to the beginning. Um, sure. You come from a very diverse background. Um, you're quarter black, quarter Filipino, quarter Mexican, and quarter Jewish. And as a tip <laughs> to George Santos, we don't mean Jew-ish. Um, <laughs> uh, what 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 does that background um, as your foundation? What has that? How has that inspired you? Um, in your creative endeavors and, and your artistic endeavors? Oh, man. Um, you know, first of all, it, it makes for really interesting uh, Thanksgivings, um, I have to say. <laughs> and, uh, um, but some of the beauty in being mixed, um, in, in my experience, has been in that you don't really belong to one group. And because of that, it gives you this sort of outsider's perspective, insider-outsider perspective into what makes them funny. Um, and so I was the kid who was uh, who was always having an impression of someone. 
in the family or pointing out who probably had too much to drink. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's the role that I served. It's how I related to everybody. And it's also how I fit in with each one of those groups. Um, but it's, yeah, for me, it's, uh, it informs my work and my comedy, um, and being able to see what makes these things funny and the drama in what things do we have in common? Yeah, it's funny because one of the things that I get from you in your work and what you kind of put out there is being almost undefinable because you're you're so you know you yourself represent diversity and it's like and which is to me hugely important because I really love individualism and people being their most authentic true selves of themselves and not fitting under a label per se. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things about your identity is that don't label him because he's going to defy <laughs> it, you know, and that's, that's, that's such a cool thing. Um, yeah. You, that's um, tended to be the way of the career as well too. Uh, at least in, in the last couple of years, it's been a, a pretty wide variety of things I've been, you know, blessed enough to to be able to play as well yeah no absolutely and and play well um you wanted to be a comic book artist and talk about diversity or a longshoreman (laughs) help us put those two together (laughs) how did those two work out (laughs) i mean for me it makes total sense um i don't know it's not a stretch maybe for you guys on (laughs) um yeah (laughs) longshoring is is my dad's family business. Um, and it is probably one of the, the greatest examples of, uh, of how the middle class can work and um, how it can really serve to bring some version of the American dream to people. And so, uh, you know, the way they view things is you go to work, you make your money, you know, you, you'll do what's called lashing or you clerk or something like that. You're unloading ships. You come home and then you get to to be an actor. That's kind of what my dad tried to convince me of. And then, um, and when I was in, uh, let's see, elementary school, my older sister introduced me to X Men comics, and that was pretty much it. Like I, I found uh, this group of people of mutants who didn't fit in with society, and uh, because they had special abilities and it scared people. And I was just like, yep, that's me. I love that. Yes. More of that, please. Uh, and, um, <laughs> because of, because of that, like I found myself getting up at 4am, 5am just to copy drawings and, and, um, write comic book stories and write my own comics, uh, and just totally fell in love with it. Yeah, it's an awesome discipline. We, in fact, our last show was on um, classic queer comics, uh, comic books, and um, you know, there's a documentary out about it now that that was just fascinating um, and, and kind of blew my mind. And, and the art form, I mean, and this is one thing with your background is you not only are you a performer and an actor and a writer but you have gone into kind of the fluid aspects of those with, I mean, you, your first entree into acting was Shakespeare, 
all the way through to improv, which again, <laughs> if you want to have this, this, this breadth of, of experience, um, that would pretty much define it. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that kind of expression? Yeah, I think, um, I think I've always been a person who is fascinated by stories and storytelling and not just like in the nebulous term, like I've always looked at stories uh, for their, for how they function and what they do to us uh, and how they move us, you know, from Socrates, you know, talking about catharsis and, and uh, peripatia and anacrusis, you know, the elements of story to looking at, at this Pixar character named Bing Bong, who's like an imaginary dude, but for some reason he's so familiar. Like he reminds me of my uncle. How did they do that? You know, I've, I've always picked it apart because uh, I think going back to my diversity, um, I was always trying to fit in. And so I was always looking for a way to make my grandma laugh. And, uh, you know, when you're like one of like, 26 grandkids you want to stand out um you know um and so yeah i've i've always looked at those elements uh as tools um and um <laughs> i feel like i probably shouldn't tell you this but i'm i'm going to for some reason i, I feel connected to you rob maybe it's a leslie thing i don't know but uh how i got started in writing was was similar i was in catholic school uh and it was very rigid and so i used to write uh romance novels um and oh, pass awesome. them around it was i mean i haven't told i don't know what this says about me psychologically i think there's another element of um rebellion in in what i do i'm i'm never going along with things as planned i always want to make a statement uh and that's how i started was was uh, getting in trouble in catholic school <laughs> <laughs> well, if that got you in trouble, then shame on them because that, that I think that's awesome. Um, I think and it, you know, but it's it. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but in your work, I think there is like even even when it's not a romantic scene, there there is a romantic aspect to the characters you play. I mean, it's um, so that that makes a lot of sense, and it, it's. Um, it's kind of interesting too when I'm thinking about Shakespeare versus improv, because one mm. of the, the challenges with Shakespeare, which is you know poetic but kind of artificial um, as mm. a performer, you know there's got to be kind of this underlying improvisational improvisational aspect to it to make it real. Um, so it just it, I, I, I actually love that you get under the covers like that because it, it, I think it makes it uh, all the more fascinating. Um, you did land more solidly, I think, in the improv thing with the Groundlings. Um, what was that like? And the Groundlings is such a great launching pad. Oh, man. It's, it was uh, a really interesting experience in just uh, really teaching me what my comedy was and what I specifically had to say, you know, uh, when you go through training for, to be a funny person, you know, there's people that are just sort of naturally hilarious, but, you know, stand up people do it by doing millions of shows and bombing, you know, a million times. And then they suddenly go like, Oh, this is my, this is what works. Um, and with, with groundlings, it was 
I know how to do someone else's funny. I've been able to perform someone else's script for a long time. But what are the things that are in me that, that I can talk about that I think are going to make people laugh? Uh, and I found it. And then right as I was finding it, the lockdown happened. Uh, and, you know, it was, <laughs> it was suddenly like, oh, gosh, like I've got this, this full tank now, things that I, this engine that's running. Uh, and so I just threw it into social media and, and saw what sticked um, or what stuck. And, um, yeah, that's kind of been the journey with them. But it was a great experience. No, I bet, yeah. It's, uh, and that is one thing in the, in the projects that you're currently doing. You are really part of an ensemble um, and mm-hmm. connecting with the other actors. And, you know, that, that connection is – you stand out, but you blend in. What do you find um, some aspect of that that is rewarding? And in the hopefully very near future, when you are the lead actor in in a series, how do you see that as being different? Yeah, I think it's something that, I mean, for all the actors out there, it's an important skill to be able to have. Like, I think we think of acting as like you get out and you steal the show and, you know, people look at you and they go like, that kid's got something. And that's, that's definitely part of it. But I think being a writer as well has taught me that as an actor and, you know, as anything on a set, cameraman, the the director, the sound guy, you are all in service of a story that, that goes, you know, up into this space and hits a satellite and comes back down and transports someone coming home from work uh, and gives them a moment to release their problems and melt into what this story is trying to tell them. And so if you come on and you're scene stealing every time, then you're not serving that story. You're doing someone a disservice. Um, right. And Shakespeare, of course, they teaches you that in droves as well. Sometimes you're just holding a spear. Just hold this spear, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have held plenty of spears, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whoop. Okay. Me too. Me too. Let it slip. Oh, oh here we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. But, but you <laughs> – all right, get serious, get serious. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> you have, you've actually dropped in on a lot of A-level productions um, as guest stars from Murderville, Pam and Tommy, Big Bang Theory, Man with a Plan, Mom, which, by the way, is one of my favorites, and um, Adam Ruins Everything. What would, what, tell us about those experiences. Oh, let me tell you about mom first, because it was it, I, the one thing I will say is congruent through every set that I've been on as a guest is getting to watch how the culture of a set changes with its stars, with its number one. Right. So I'm on the set of mom. I'm doing essentially not. I'm holding a spear. Right. That, you know, <laughs> uh, not metaphorically. actually. You know, uh, I'm, I'm coming on. I'm like a game show host or something. And I'm a huge fan of Alice and Janney. Like. Oh, my God, uh, just an acting yeah. goddess, incredible, powerful, oh. all the things. Um, totally. And, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so, I'm, you know, I'm kind of shaking in my boots. I've got two lines. I have one scene, and she's not in it with me. I'm, I'm in it with Anna Ferris. 
and um, we're about oh, to film. <laughs> uh, I know, yeah. Oh, you know who. Uh, but she was great, too. But it was like, we're about to shoot this. We're about to shoot our scene. Uh, you know, we shoot everything on a Friday. Um, everybody's just getting into makeup and costumes and everything. And it's closer to a theater performance because it's multicam. So everyone goes and watches from a green room while you perform. And I didn't know this at the time, but they run a rehearsal beforehand. And Allison Janney was going through her scenes and getting her makeup done. And I was just walking by, right? I was just walking by the makeup thing. And my heart gets to be because I'm like, oh, my God, Allison Janney. And uh, I walk by the room. I, I do like a half smile and I keep going. And then she goes, hey. And I'm like, well, I, I know she doesn't need me. But I turn around anyway just in case. And she's looking right at me and she goes, get in here. And no, no, who are you? No, like, hey, welcome to the – no. But she says, get in here. She sits me down next to her. And I listen to her rehearse. And I listen to her work out the beats of comedy that she's going to do and the music of the comedy she's about to perform, you know, where she's like, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to come on top of this one is I'm going to be on top of you for this. I'm going to be kind of angry. And then you undercut it and that, and then we'll get a laugh and they go, okay, yeah, I'm listening to her just make the mechanism work. And it's, it made the entire experience for me. I don't even remember shooting, but I remember that. Um, oh my God. It was an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. It, I still get like goosebumps thinking about it. She was amazing. That, um, that is so but, awesome. That is so awesome. <laughs> right? It, and so look for, you know, to, to be able to look for how the culture of a set changes with all these different actors and, and how they work um, has been really interesting and really culminated in this experience with Gina Rodriguez on Not Dead Yet. Um, because she's, she was pregnant during shooting, um, because she's who she is, the set that we had was unique from every other set that I have been on. And it was one that cared about you and your family and knew that you had a life. It was one that everyone knew about everybody's kids and, uh, and it was one that, like, nobody was ashamed to say, like, I'm having a rough day. I need five minutes. Like, it, it was every, – every set should have a pregnant Gina Rodriguez uh, in the future. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a little hard to order, but, but we'll, we'll put that out to the universe that every set – We need to make that. it happen. But, <laughs> yeah. But so uh, I, one question for you, because I'm not quite sure – how much of um, not dead yet is embargoed, whether what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not. I've seen mm-hmm. all five episodes, the five episodes I was allowed to see, loved it. Absolutely, you know, it's, it's my kind of show. I love it. Oh, but, thank you. And the r- relationship between everybody in the cast, what you just described, you feel. I mean, it, it does oh. not feel like, like, especially for a new show, like, oh, this, this is an ensemble cast trying to feel each other out. It's like these are people with relationships, and that, that's very much part of it. Um, oh. But let's, uh, the one thing, because I'll be totally remiss if we don't, we don't talk about this, but mm. the part, one of the most unique things about the show is not only your character but the fact that your character is explicitly bi, 
and mm. you know bringing you know by definition bringing that perspective to the show um mm-hmm. how did that evolve number one what are your feelings about it and how do you feel in terms of embodying that yeah i think i mean first of all i'm just glad to be talking with you about this i haven't talked to anyone about this particular experience and um it was it was honestly really uh careful at the beginning and and difficult um because you know it, to make a decision like that to make a character bisexual to also make it something that feels uh authentic and not pandering to an audience and not like we have a bi character because we have you know all of that stuff becomes a concern especially nowadays and so i worried about that particular decision uh for a couple of reasons and um and eventually i i got a call from the showrunners who were basically like okay what do we want to do <laughs> you know we got to make a, a decision here and i wanted dennis to be uh bisexual because one it is true to who I am and it helps me connect to this character uh on one of you know the most basic levels you know it's it's you're painting a, a portrait of somebody else but you can use more of the colors that are in your skin tone uh and that always makes for a, a better performance um but also I had never seen a story like this about a uh a dad who or a a a, a guy who is I'm a dad, so it's just coming. I'm a guy who is bisexual right. <laughs> and in a relationship, and just sort of and explicitly talking about it uh, in the workplace. It was something that was so unique to me, and um, and the showrunners um, David and Casey also asked me questions about my experience and brought me into the writers' room and said, you know, tell us your story. It wasn't it wasn't like does this is this okay? It wasn't permission. They just said tell us your story, and I did and. Throughout the rest of filming, I would see these things that inspired me and were part of, uh, not necessarily taken from my life, but very much uh, similar, and I could connect with it so easy. And I would find myself thanking the writers after for writing something so beautiful and authentic to this experience. Um, And then also them coming up to me afterwards and going like, that was part of my story. And that was probably the most gratifying thing you can ever hear as an actor is for someone to thank you for, for doing it justice. It, yeah, it, it is so seamless in the, in the show. And there, there are a couple things that for me as a viewer that I really appreciated about it. Uh, One Mm -hmm. was, and this is a bias on my part that bothers me with a lot of LGBTQ, especially American-made LGBTQ community um, material, which is when the character feels the need to. Bros did it, and um, uh, you know the Neil Patrick Harris thing did it, where they go, mm. okay, gay men do this. You know, in other words, they come oh. out with like these these things where. They're trying to define not their character, but but make a definition of all gay men or all this. 
And your character and the way it's written and the way you portray it is not that. It is it is mm-hmm. a one man's experience, which is really wonderful. But at the same time, and there was one part that I, I and I can't even tell you why I loved it, but I did, where your character goes, okay, I'm by, so I'm like got vision into both camps, and here's what I think about that. And I love that because it was like I feel that way so often with a lot of, you know, especially straight male, straight female conflict going, okay, I'm not, I, I have no skin in this game, but here's my thoughts on that. You know, and I loved how that was framed. It was like, it was perfect, you know, and oh. it, it, it was very authentic. You know, I, that's really. I don't know if there's a question. <laughs> no, I, I first of all that I'm. Uh, thank you very much. That I feel incredibly proud of that moment, and uh, it was instrumentally written that way. Like it was something we had talked about. It was like, do we even want to include this in a script? And what we came up with was like, I don't want because I as a person wouldn't just share. You don't just share your orientation with people whose business it isn't. Unless, you know, there's a purpose behind it. And right. I, didn't, I didn't want it to feel like pandering. And so what I loved was like, <laughs> is it in that moment he's speaking from a place of what he thinks is expertise, you know, and um, which is how I feel really often as well. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the, the, I don't, I, we call me the rainbow bridge <laughs> in my family because, because the uh, the women will call me and ask me, what do I do about the men? And the men will call me and ask me, what do I do about the women? <laughs> and I'm like, right, okay, listen, right. let, let me help you out, okay? Uh, <laughs> because you have that perspective. And so, yes, in that moment, he is doing exactly that. And what's even funnier to me about it is that he's kind of getting it wrong, <laughs> which is just like, it's <laughs> so great. Um, and it's so, so funny. And that's just... I mean, that's our writer's room at work uh, is they're so good. Um, but that particular thing happens with uh, cultures as well, especially like anytime you have someone of ethnicity on camera, they feel the same way of like, oh, why do I have to explain this? And our mm-hmm. show does such a, a good job of hitting on human things and making fun of human things and talking about this very common idea of, you know, sometimes your life is going to explode. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Keep going. Um, that's really all the explanation that is needed for every character. And so their cultures yeah. and diversity come secondary. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, the, there's so much, I, I mean, I love about this show because even characters that, on paper look like they're drawn in a way that they could become cliche, um, like the, the boss of the, the whole office, the owner of the, the paper. <laughs> she is drawn in this way that, you know, is, you know, and she's, her type character has been cliche on numerous things, but it, it has cut differently with the, the key characters going, okay, no, she's got a really good side too. Let's look at mm. this total package with her and that is so refreshing it's just you know Ugh. it you know it's and it and super engaging because you can love her and and go it, it just it makes it much more in depth i mean i'll compare it to 
classic TV like the Mary Tyler Moore show where <laughs> they started out with kind of cliche-ish people, but then they developed these three dimensions to them. And so it, yeah. it just, you know, it, it covers that too. So I want to pivot a little bit. Actually, I'm pivoting a lot. Because one of the things, and this is where I'm not sure, you know, what I can allude to on some of the productions you're in, but there seems to be this supernatural element that you're, you, and I guess it's, my question is, are you falling into that accidentally or is this a passion of yours? Because everything has kind of like beyond the boundaries of life and death and, and all of that. Between you mean because I'm always stuck and, with ghosts in it, <laughs> with ghosts and like like people who are already dead. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's actually um, it's part of my IMDb. I will only work on projects that have or contain <laughs> elements of of death and afterlife. Yeah, it's just a, it's weird, but it's me. You know, it's, everyone's got a niche. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's very yeah. equal opportunity of you. <laughs> Dead people. It's true. Yeah, it's true. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny. I think like, I think it has to. I think it speaks to a lot of the kind of projects that are being produced, right? Like we're seeing so many people. And I'm not sure if it's because we've we've lost so many people in the last couple of years, but we seem fascinated with this concept. Uh, of what happens afterwards. Like, what are we doing? Where do right. we go? You know, and it's so fun to imagine. And now I think our technology is is able to show us such interesting things that we couldn't shoot before. You couldn't shoot super afterlife stuff like Upload does in, in Mary Tyler Moore days. You know, there's only so far you can get. We You know, we got Bewitched and... and <laughs> that's it, you know, Mork and Mindy. But right, um, right, yeah. now that fantastic thing can happen. And I think also in terms of in terms of Not Dead Yet at least, and both of these projects, we're kind of poking fun at the notion that after you've passed that you have infinite wisdom. It's kind of funny, but <laughs> Not Dead Yet, the ghosts are like, they're still people. At the end of the right. day, they just you know they're imperfect. They're they're not giving her the best advice sometimes. <laughs> you know they'll be like, oh, I I think you're messing this up. Like I'm I'm pretty sure you shouldn't eat that. Oh, I don't know, maybe. You know, like it's yeah, it's kind yeah. of fascinating um, that that shift it, in narrative. Can you just for our listeners, um, can you give a synopsis of upload and because the, the that plot is both fascinating and a little more complex? Mm, yes. So Upload is a new show on on Amazon by Greg Daniels, who brought you The Office and Parks and Rec. Uh, and it's it answers the question, uh, what if after you die you could upload to a digital afterlife? Uh, and also, what if that afterlife was run by, like, Disney Plus or Stars? Or or Kmart or something like <laughs> these big companies <laughs> make these digital afterlives for you to live in. What would they look like, and would you do it? Uh, seemingly that you would live forever in a digital, in a limited digital world. Um, and so, yeah, it follows uh, a young guy who dies too early, um, gets uploaded kind of somewhat against his will, and now he's trying to figure out how to live in this world, and also trying to find out the mystery of who murdered him. 
and your talk about your character there a little bit because you you've got your character is a little bit there's a little bit of subterfuge and I mean there's definitely layers yeah. to your character. So I play Ivan, uh, who is who by day uh, works as a technician, uh, like tech support for one of these uh, big companies running a heaven called um, Horizon. And by night, he moonlights as uh, a secret agent uh, who is actually working for another group who was anti-technology called the LUDs, and they're trying to take the whole system down. But he himself seems to be a guy who's just trying to get the cheapest ramen. Like, he's, he's not your, your regular secret agent, uh, you might think, but he, I mean, he thinks he is, which is kind of the best part. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it i mean it's and it's one fun watching you there with kind of like that little bit of devious twinkle in your eye versus um your character on not dead yet which is like just you know big papa bear you want to hug and you know he, you know he's like there and the, you know that the more cuddly aspect um i want to shift to i mean not that you're not busy enough already with two series that you're already doing and everything mm. else. Um, I totally see you as, as somebody on Saturday Night Live. Is that kind of thing on your bucket list or what, where do you, <laughs> where do you want to see your momentum going? I mean, I, if Lauren Michaels is listening to this, Lauren, call my people. We'll set something up. We'll do lunch. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's taking you a long time, but it's, it's totally fine. Um <laughs> I would, yeah. I mean, the, the the if you think the two characters I'm playing on TV right now are are very different, then the characters you would see at Groundlings were uh, would be completely wild. Um, yeah, I had the dream of doing SNL for a long time, and my dream was I want Lauren Michaels to tell me no, uh, just so I can let go of it, you know. Um, but I mean, yes, yeah, sketch comedy. Uh, is is one of my absolute passions, um, you know, to be able to to make somebody laugh with that one-two punch. And then my thing was always to have something heartfelt in it as well. Um, that's that's sort of, I mean, in a way, it's kind of what I'm doing now. You know, I've got I've got two comedies on the air. I also have a very heartfelt kids show on Apple TV. I have to talk about called The Slumberkins, which is just I, it's just the sweetest show, uh, and is, as a parent, it's so great to see. Um, oh yeah, but, yeah. Oh, it's it's so beautifully written, and and I I wish they would promote it more because it's it's such a good show. Um, but yeah, and, that and is, that what is, is the, what is the what is the premise of that one? So the Slumberkins is is by the Jim Henson uh, company uh, puppets paired with uh, another company called the Slumberkins. Um, and they are, you know, little animals, little animal friends with parents. Uh, and what they do is they talk about and have little adventures that deal with emotional intelligence and having kids navigate what's going on inside emotionally and be able to communicate that. Um, and so I'm like, I'm watching it going like, oh, that is how I'm feeling. Oh, no. Like, I, <laughs> wow, yak, that's amazing. Um, so I play Bigfoot's dad. And uh, oh, they have some <laughs> really sweet episodes. I know, typecast, I know. 
<laughs> yeah, but not really. But yeah, okay. But, uh, no, that's uh, of course it, it goes back to our. You know, it's like uh, Josh's characters come via um, National Geographic or whatever. Not National uh, National Enquirer. Wasn't that yeah. the one that used to do Bigfoot and all that and, and ghosts and? <laughs> it's true. It but, is true. Um, yeah. So have have your girls watched um, the your new show? They have, yeah, they have. They're actually uh, they have the music on repeat. It's by Ingrid Michaelson, who I was a huge fan of before uh, oh, yeah. the show. So I got to sing a couple of her songs, and like they're so sweet. There's uh, there's one called uh, the Invisible Thread that's all about the connection between us, even when we're far apart. And I'm just crying at my own episode. Oh. And my daughter, who's like, who's nine now, is like, are you seriously crying at your own voice? <laughs> <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> You're a mess. <laughs> You're a mess, Daddy. Um, yes, but they, they, they have seen it. They both, they both super love it. Even my two-year-old is like, she's got it on repeat now. So it's great. Oh, that's that that is so awesome and by the way both my sons are 20 and they don't change it's like they, they don't take me seriously either so it's like have them watch it <laughs> oh i will yeah no i will it's like, <laughs> uh, the thing with my boys is it's like oh, one always likes something and one always doesn't and they shift so i can't even okay. who it will be but one of them will love it one of them will go oh dad okay right you know so uh, <laughs> that that's just the way it is But I want to, Josh. I want to shift a little bit to kind of uh, some of your viewpoints on a little bit of what we were talking about at the top of the show, uh, in terms of being a bisexual man in this society. What what Mm. do people get wrong and right about that experience? Yeah, I think that was one of the things that we were looking to talk about on the show. Um, there's one particular storyline that I wish I could reveal. It wasn't in the five episodes. Uh, but if you watch the show, you definitely see it. Um, oh, I will. <laughs> and, you know, I hope you do. Hey, call me after and we can talk about it. <laughs> I, I'm dying to talk about it with somebody. I would love to talk with you about it, please. That would be great. Um, yeah, but, no, I, you uh, got it. Absolutely. I would love that. I would love that. Um, it's, it, you know, I think one of the things that people get wrong is that, you know, at least what I'm seeing, because I was looking for other examples of bisexual characters, they kind of like come in, they, you know, two people are having a conversation at like the kitchen table, a character comes in and they go, by the way, I'm bi, and then they slam the door and they leave. And you're like, what? What? Where's the rest of it? You know, <laughs> I think, I think because it's been, uh, one, it's been a kind of in the background uh, sometimes of the stronger voices in the LGBTQ plus mu- uh, movement. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost said music. Kind of makes sense. Kind of the same thing. In the choir, they're the altos. Um, you know, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to make it work with the counter melody. But sometimes I think uh, it, because it's, it's a voice that's more nebulous, it can be difficult to pin down that, what exactly that experience is. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, as an identity... Once you do pick a mate, people often pigeonhole you into going, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're just straight now or you're just gay now. 
you know, almost, you know, it's it's not a game of Plinko. Like, it's just because I picked a slot, you know, doesn't mean that's that's it for me. Right. Um, right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't negate the experience. Um, and I know, at least for me, growing up, I there was no word for it. Um, and that's one of the things that I would love to see. And and who knows, maybe it'll come through, Dennis. I don't know, but the experience of not really knowing which one to pick, and then, you know, both gay and straight communities kind of going like, well, you got to pick a team. You know, which colors are you wearing was something that that was a a unique part of the experience. I kind of wish I could see that. Maybe I'll write it. I don't know. Maybe you'll write it. If you write it, will you include me? I would love it. (laughs) Well, I actually, it's like, I would rather you write it and I'll promote it because that that it, it is a, it is a tough thing. I've and I definitely have written and and interviewed and talked to a lot of bi um, activists. Um, in fact, some of the the key activists in in the movement. And it is a tough mm. thing because it, where if you're gay, and this is from my perspective, if you're gay and you have a relationship. It's like people recognize it as a because the relationship is same sex, so so mm. they see that they don't question whether I have other attractions or not. They just you know it's like boom you're in that that relationship. When you're by your the relationship you're in that people observe is not it's you know maybe the tip of the iceberg. It may you know it it doesn't it's it's not definitive. And it's like so. It, it's a, a very unique aspect of that persona that the other personas don't have, and it's probably why people don't relate to it because their relationship yeah. looks like their their internal and external are both identical, and so they, they never stop to think, mm-hmm. "Ooh." And I've done this before, by the way. As an editor, um, I had a writer that that wrote for me. And I started talking to him because he had a wife and kids and everything else. And I was like, like, well, you know, and you can write this from the straight perspective. And he went, um, Rob, I'm bi. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my bad. Well, there <laughs> like, you go. <laughs> bad on me. So, yeah. So I know. I've into that yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah. We should at least pick a hairstyle or something that, that lets you know, you know, maybe we wear like a – uh, a special like eye patch uh, or something. It's, it is. It's interesting, but like, th- I think for those reasons, that's what really attracts me to the story. Um, is that, uh, you know, I when I took on this role, one of the things that really, you know, not worried. It did. It worried me. I, I can say worried was that my kids didn't know this about me because I've been living, yeah, in, you know, in this lifestyle and. And they didn't know, and I didn't want them to find out through TV, uh, and I didn't right. know how to tell them, right? And the nine-year-old, she knows stuff. She's got kids transitioning in her classes. She has, you know, little boys are now talking about who they like and little girls talking about So she n- understands. And I, I took the role, and I didn't know how to tell her. And at the time, I was like, should I go back and just say, he's a straight guy, let's, or, you know, or he is gay, let's just figure it out. And she asked me one day, she was like, uh, Daddy, I want to know about who who else have you dated before mommy? And, like, here was the opportunity staring me right in the face. And we were in the car, and it was after school, and we were going through 
And it was something I had talked to my wife about. I was like, maybe. And so I said, you know, daddy dated, you know, this girl and this girl in high school. And she said, okay. And then I said, and then daddy, you know, he got to college and there was a boy that daddy liked and they had a relationship and it was very nice, but then it was over. And I was like, okay, ready for the questions. She's an inquisitive kid. Here we go. And she just said, okay. And (laughs) (laughs) it was so simple, but it it broke my heart wide open, you know, and it, it, it gave me the kind of armor that I needed. I was like, I can do this now, you know, because it's no big deal to her. And there's yeah, such there's totally. freedom in that, such beauty in that, yeah. No, I relate so much because my kids had transgender friends in high school, and I was like, are they okay? I said, you know, and all this stuff, and they looked at me like, what is what is the deal, Dad? It's like, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> You know, I mean, it was, it was just sort of like, you know, it was like they were just his friends. It was like, oh, yeah, I have a redheaded friend. You know, it, it's like it, it. that was how it, every day it was to them. So, yeah. Uh, oh, Josh, we've got beautiful. literally two minutes left, and I need to get the house cleaning stuff done here. Where do people find out about you more, and where do they see the shows? Yes, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Josh Banday. I am also Josh Banday on TikTok, uh, but don't worry if you don't do that. We're all too old to be doing it anyway. Um, I'm on uh, <laughs> Upload on Amazon. I'm on uh, Not Dead Yet on ABC on February 8th. You can also stream it on Hulu. Uh, and I'm the voice of Bigfoot's dad on The Slumberkins on Apple+. Plus. Uh, and please read to your kids every night. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> catch all of Josh's shows, um, you're going to love him if you don't know him already. Um, Josh, you are fantastic. And absolutely, um, you know, Brogy knows everyone, so I wouldn't even doubt that he can't um, make some back road thing to Lauren Michaels. But, you know, I definitely Let's see do you that. doing stuff like that. Yeah, they, they need you. Um, and oh, we need you. you. I mean, you're, you're, making, <laughs> you're making a mark, and it's super, super, super important. So thank you for everything you do, and thank you for joining us today. Absolute delight. Um, And I want to thank our audience for tuning in. Please share. Um, I want to thank Brody for his work. And definitely catch the L.A. Blade. Um, Great writing on there. Um, And and even my writing is on there, too. Um, But uh, it's finger on the pulse uh, for the LGBT community. We will be back again next week with um, another great show. I have no idea what it is, but I guarantee you um, it'll be what you want it to be. Um, In the meantime, have a great week, and we will talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.